peer-to-peer recognition, it's almost always words, or I mean, it might be an icon, but it represents words. And we know that um, less than half of all employees choose words as their primary language. So if you only use words, uh, then you're sort of by default going to miss half of the people of how they really want to be shown appreciation. And so it's good, but you, you need to sort of incorporate what's important to them and and identify that so that people can not waste time and energy. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. I'm a Gen Xer in my 50s, and I've been pretty consistently employed since the summer before I entered fifth grade. Back then, I worked for a chinchilla rancher, Mr. Watson, every day after school. And Mr. Watson was firm, strict even, but he was also free with his praise when I did a good job. And that felt so good, it made me want to be a better employee, even in the fifth grade, which may not have worked out so well for the chinchillas, but that's another story. Over my career, and certainly the last 24 years of running Imperative, I've tried to create an environment where each team member's contributions are valued and appreciated. And increasingly, anecdotal and social science evidence suggests that there's a significant upside to organizations who are successful in creating a culture where people feel appreciated. Joining me today to discuss the role of appreciation in building a healthy work environment is Dr. Paul White. Paul is a psychologist, author, and speaker who makes work relationships work. He is the co-author of the best-selling book, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, which he wrote with Dr. Gary Chapman, author of The Five Love Languages. Additionally, their online assessment, The Motivating by Appreciation Inventory, has been taken by over 375,000 employees worldwide and is available in multiple languages. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Paul. Thanks, Mike. I'm glad to be with you. So let's just start with the concept of appreciation. What does that look like in the workplace? Yeah, you know, uh, most employees and leaders are familiar with employee recognition programs because over 90% of all the companies in the U.S. have some form of employee recognition, even though it might be as small as sending out an automatic email to somebody's birthday. But we really believe that authentic appreciation is different than employee recognition. They overlap. And we do focus on the authentic part. We, uh, I'm not interested in teaching people how to look like they appreciate somebody or act like it, but to, to truly uh, have that come from inside of them. And uh, authentic appreciation is largely about the person. I mean, recognition uh, historically has been about performance, and that's a good thing. You know, we set goals or target behaviors, monitor them, and then reward them when we see them. And when it's designed well and implemented consistently, that works. Uh, but we believe that people and employees are, uh, you know, humans. They're, they're, they're people. Uh, they're not just producers. And so um, we believe that uh, employees have value even beyond uh, performance. And so we, we focus on that. And, and um, it overlaps and in, in intersects with performance because obviously we want to, you know, show appreciation for things that they do well. But sometimes... Um, actually research shows that the top 10 or 15% of any workforce 
are the ones that mainly get all the, the uh, recognition. And so that leaves a big group of 50 to 60% in the middle that are working hard, doing the best job. They may be learning. They still have things to, to grow in, but they don't hear anything. And other research shows that when people don't feel valued, uh, they leave. Um, one study showed 79% of all the people who leave voluntarily cite a lack of appreciation is one of the main reasons. Uh, the hmm. MIT School uh, uh, Business, the Sloan School of Business, uh, did research recently during the Great Resignation and found that a lack of appreciation was three times um, more accurate in predicting people leaving than level of compensation. So most managers think that people leave for more money. They may get more money, but that's not the reason they leave uh, because it takes sort of emotional energy to leave and re-engage. And so it's that emotional driver of feeling like nobody really gives a rip about me or what I do. And uh, they look for someplace else. So if I'm not appreciating somebody for their performance, what aspects of who they are am I, you know, are we talking about appreciation for? Yeah. Is it just the fact that they show up every day or? Yeah, or, no, or you should, really yeah, you should throw a parade when they show up. No, uh, um, uh, no, it has to do uh, partly with character uh, and versus behavior. So behavior is like, you know, you can say, Brian, thanks for getting your reports done to me on time, that makes it easy for me to turn mine around and get it done on time. That's different than saying, well, Brian, thanks for being dependable. I know that once I ask you to do something, it's going to be done and I don't have to worry about it. But also there are situations where you have people that are still learning to do their job well or at an acceptable level. And it doesn't mean you can't appreciate them as a person. There, there are characteristics within the workplace that we can value besides performance. For example, I like to work with cheerful people more than grumpy people. And so I may hire uh, and, you know, sort of shape a, a B, B-plus uh, worker technically uh, who's cheerful and has a nice smile and laugh versus, you know, an A person who's just a real bear to work with uh, because that impacts the, the workplace environment. Uh, same thing, you might have somebody who's not really dramatic in their responses, and it's helpful to have those people on your team when you're going through a crisis, that they're not, you know, overreacting or complaining and so forth. And so sometimes it might be, and, you know, Janice, I really think I'm thankful that you're just sort of calm and a steady force here that's helpful to us. But even beyond that, there are things that we can appreciate about people outside of work, especially if their work is needing some help, you want to you wanna deal with the performance issues, but you can say, hey, Ted, you know, I, I'm just really impressed with you uh, having the discipline to train for a half marathon. That's cool. I'm, I'm not able to do that. Or maybe you have a, a single mom who works for you and say, you know, Maria, I am just really just awed by how much you love your kids and you're committed to them. And it's not about work, but it's about her. And it's going to build a connection and a loyalty uh, and you, on the other hand, you might say, but Maria, you still got to get here on time, <laughs> you know, because, you know, that part is about work. So there are things that we can value that that are, aren't about performance. The other thing that I think is different about recognition and appreciation is that recognition is largely organizational. I mean, it's top down, either from management or from HR and you have a program and that's fine. But we believe that appreciation really is person to person. It, it's not based on the org chart. So it can be from the receptionist to maybe the, you know, the vice president and say, 
wow, thanks for taking care of that issue for me, you know, uh, or even across departments. Let's say you're in accounting and your computer, you know, it's got a glitch and somebody in IT fixes it for you. They don't report to you, but you can say, hey, Glenn, thanks for, you know, helping get my computer to work right. You're always so responsive when I need help (laughs) or something like that. Okay. So it's more of a meta view of who the person is instead of this thing, this transactional thing that they just did for us. It's looking at the bigger view of what they really contribute and bring to the relationships or to the, to the environment in the office. Yeah. I, I would say it's both. And I mean, cause clearly there are things that people do day to day that we can value and appreciate, but it goes beyond that. And, and certainly, you know, I've, uh, you know, we've got recognition processes in our organization for, you know, hitting your check, you know, hitting all your markers and, and, and your targets and all of those things. But, uh, and, and we've, you know, we're not one of those organizations, but the organizations where you get a plaque when, you know, at this right. point, or you do this or, and nothing wrong with those things. Um, but except, except that they're not meaningful to the recipient. That's yeah, the problem. Yeah, right, it's yeah. a waste of time yeah. and energy a lot of time. Yeah. And, and so, but those are systemic processes and you're talking about a, a, an environment where, where we recognize what somebody brings and, it, and and somebody else may bring the exact opposite of that. Like you said, the, the person who's really enthusiastic and energetic versus the person who in a crisis keeps their head and is calm and, and, and rational. Both of those people bring different things and recognizing that. Well, that's kind of interesting because I'm a big believer in, and using tools like DISC and other things like that to help managers really understand their team and to help teams understand their managers. Too often, it's one way the managers are looking for that special insight to manipulate somebody where I think it's better if if I understand my manager better and what their motivators are and and, and how they uh, like to communicate makes me a better support of that manager. And as a manager, I can better support my employees if I understand what they're doing. But I can totally see that the value in, in introducing those behavioral assessments. Cause I think a lot of times we don't know why we appreciate somebody so much, sure. but when you see it in black and white, this is how, this is how this person's, you know, very likely to respond. And, Oh yeah, that's what I really like about Mike or, or whatever. Yeah. And actually we, we did research comparing disc profiles mm-hmm. with uh, the, the MBA inventory results. And we found that they're actually two separate constructs. There's no sort of correlation between them. And the positive thing about that is the disc tells you for what you may appreciate somebody like a D, you know, taking Mm -hmm. the lead and making a decision or uh, a C, you know, being very detail oriented. But our inventory and the results tell you how to show them appreciation in a way that's meaningful to them. Because usually we start out by sharing appreciation in the way that's meaningful to us, whether that's words or stopping by and checking in on them. Uh, But we're going to have team members that, have different languages and actions within those uh, languages. And so we don't want leaders, managers, even team members doing things that waste time and energy that aren't effective. We want to help them really hit the mark by identifying what's most important to their, their colleagues. And I've been guilty of that. I'm a high D, a high I, you know, I love an audience. I need people. COVID almost killed me just because I couldn't, you know, be around folks. Uh, whereas almost all, all of my analysts who sit there and do the, you know, meat and potatoes work of background checks all day, uh, they're sitting in front of two or three computer monitors all day, uh, doing, you know, high level data entry and then problem solving on top of that and are low sociability and, uh, and are very tab A and slot A oriented. 
And I learned years ago that in a staff meeting, they do not want to be called out in front of the whole group regularly saying, hey, you did a great job on that. I really appreciate it because you could just see them mail. They just didn't want 25 other people staring at them at that moment. Yeah. In fact, we found that 40 percent on average, 40 percent of employees don't want to be recognized in front of a large group. And it actually goes up for for like administrative assistants. It's about 65 percent. Uh, actually hmm. spoke to librarians, 95% of them. Uh, yeah, don't, I, I you know, imagine those are the lowest yeah, guys. In the, exactly. In the, yeah, wow. Yeah. So, but that doesn't mean they don't want to uh, be valued and feel appreciated. It's just that how you do it uh, that makes a difference. So so talk to me about then about the motivating by appreciation inventory. What are you measuring there and, and what does that result look like? Yeah, so it, it's an online assessment. It takes about 20 minutes to take. Um, and we identify a person's primary language of appreciation uh, of, of the uh, five languages, their secondary language, and their least valued language, which is an important one because that's your blind spot. It's one that's not important to you, but you have team members and colleagues who have that. And so we help develop a plan to be able to show appreciation to them in that way. We found out that just knowing a person's language of appreciation really isn't sufficient because there's lots of ways to communicate through words or quality time, and that it's really the specific actions that are important. So, for example, there's a generational difference that uh, for those of us who are a little bit older, quality time meant time with our manager or supervisor that we really felt valued if they spent time either listening to or sharing uh, input. For younger employees, that's less important. You know, there there was a saying, you know, people don't uh, leave a job, they leave a manager. That's less true. Now, younger employees when they think about quality time, it's more about time with their colleagues and their peers. They want to go out to lunch together. They want to go out after work together, get together over the weekend and watch sports. And so we identify not only the language, but the specific actions and with whom, because they may want to get together and watch, you know, a sporting event, but they're not going to invite the supervisor. And so we help really specify uh, what each person wants. And then we create a a group profile uh, to share amongst the team because one of the sort of misconceptions is that this is primarily for leaders and supervisors to do. And while we clearly want them involved, the power really is when team members begin to show appreciation to one another um, for what they're doing and who they are. And, and so we, we have a training process that we take teams through to teach them how to show appreciation to one another in the ways that are meaningful to, to their team members. You touch on it a little bit, but is there a quantifiable difference in an organization that really has that appreciation culture? Uh, and how do you measure where you're at in your appreciation culture uh, versus an organization that's maybe more transactional in their relationships? Yeah. yeah. First of all, and again, that's sort of another misconception. The goal of communicating appreciation, the primary goal is not just to make people feel good or happy. That's fine. We'd like that to happen. But the real goal is to help create an effective, functional organization. And I use sort of the picture of oil in a machine. If you've got a, you know, an engine and it has parts that need to work together, if there's no oil in there, there's friction, start to get heat, maybe sparks, lock up. And I think oil um, is a, a nice analogy for appreciation. It helps the organization work together better. And in our book, in chapter two, it's sort of like the ROI of appreciation. We've got over 50 research citations from the past two decades that show that when team members feel valued and appreciated in comparison to those that don't, uh, you have less turnover, 
less absenteeism, less uh, people showing up tardy, both to work and from break and at lunch. You have greater productivity. Uh, people follow the rules and processes more. Uh, profitability increases largely because we really reduce turnover um, and, and increase retention. And that's sort of the single largest cost to organizations that's not productive. Um, and then also we increase um, customer service ratings. People like their work more, they're more engaged. Creative problem solving increases. So there's all kinds of functional benefits from team members feeling valued and appreciated. Conversely, when they don't, one of the main ones that you see day to day is they're just sort of chippy. I mean, I don't, I'm from the Midwest, but you know, you're just sort of irritable and a little thing about yeah, in Texas. Things. We would say, yeah, in Texas, we'd say pissy. And so it's like, you know, they got a smaller window or, you know, they don't have a parking space or their schedule or whatever. And it's all these little things that take up time and emotional energy that aren't contributing to the mission and when people feel valued, those sort of fall away because they know that they're valued and they don't become such a big issue. So the issue isn't really the issue. Those issues, those little, those little things aren't what's really going on. They just don't feel like they're, they're integrated, yeah. I guess, with the rest of the team. So, so the, you, those comparisons between different organizations and those cultures is interesting. But can you, what does it look like if I... Well, first of all, how do I identify which one of those organizations I have? What is my culture? How do I figure out whether we have an appreciation culture or or something else? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, a lot of organizations use some sort of employee engagement uh, measure and and they have one or maybe two questions about appreciation and recognition. We have a, a pre-post uh, assessment that can be used and actually published research that shows that our process moves people from not feeling valued and or not hearing appreciation to hearing it. Um, and then, you know, the results are really that what you want are those secondary results, right, of profitability, of retention. And right now, that, that's sort of the, the three big R's are retention um, and recruitment and then dealing with remote employees. And we've actually created resources to deal uh, and teach people how to show appreciation uh, over long distance because, you know, it looks different. That's, that is a, an issue that I hear from our clients and my entrepreneur peers who have now, you know, dispersed teams all over uh, is, is creating that camaraderie, that, 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 you know, that sense of uh, esprit de corps or whatever among their remote employees. What are some things that, that you can do in a remote environment uh, when you're not actually, you know, seeing Joe at the water cooler or right. in the break room? Well, actually, what we know is that um, one of the best things to do is to uh, identify, again, what they want and what it looks like, because uh, sort of, you know, how do you spend time remotely? Well, lots of times you need to maybe set up uh, a call uh, to talk. We did research where we during COVID and we looked at people who were stressed out and they reported it and they were depressed and lonely and, and compared people who were not doing well to those who were doing somewhat better. And one of the key factors was that they were staying connected with their colleagues at a personal level and two important parts. It wasn't with their supervisor. That sort of happened, you know, but with their colleagues and not just about work, but about what was going on with them personally. 
and we're finding that connection is, is huge. And uh, let me just, I'll net out one thing for people that uh, work with, you know, PepsiCo and Caterpillar and some multinational organizations that have international virtual teams. And one of the things that we're finding and actually neuroscience is finding is that interacting with somebody face-to-face in person is a different experience qualitatively than interacting face-to-face remotely. And that there's a, a greater sense of, understanding, empathy, um, and you know, sort of connectedness. And so really encouraging teams that are largely virtual to at least get together every once in a while, whether that's once every six months or a year, because the, the kind of relationship that you need to have uh, to communicate appreciation authentically uh, needs involves a relationship that um, a couple of years ago, was working with a big tech company and they wanted to try it uh, just, you know, virtually. And I said, I don't think it's going to work because appreciation is a person to person. And if I'm trying to show it to you as a person and I don't know you, it's going to feel pretty weird and awkward. I'm going to miss the mark. It's hard to keep sort of motivated about it. And so really that uh, face-to-face connection. But the, the other part is to uh, when we did research with, I don't know, it was 100,000 people remotely, we found that a key part is being proactive, right? Because you don't have those chance encounters where in the break room or in the hall or you walk by their office and you stick your head in and ask a question. And so it's really important to be proactive and uh, maybe send them a, a text or a, an email and say, hey, I'd like to catch up with you uh, when you have some time. Because we don't know, lots of times we don't want to reach out because we're afraid that we're going to interrupt them. So you say, hey, you know, when you have five or 10 minutes, we can chat. And that really makes a difference. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative. Premium background checks with fast and friendly service. A few years ago, we were contacted by the administrator of a large government entity here in Texas. They were in the process of cleaning up a mess and needed help avoiding it in the future. They had hired a high profile official And within days of announcing the hire, the local media had identified several questionable issues in individuals' past employment and some significant red flags in their social media presence. Their due diligence wasn't as diligent as the local news' investigative ability. Most of the background checks we run for our clients are pretty standard. A really thorough search for criminal background, a driving history, and verification of the candidate's claims about their education and previous employment all delivered in an easy-to-understand report with excellent customer service. But when our clients hire senior managers, executives, or other critical roles, especially those with a significant public presence, they often ask for a broader search of the candidate's background. This may mean an even longer look back into their criminal history, sometimes even decades. It may also mean searches for civil litigation in which they've been involved, either as a plaintiff or defendant. Who have they sued? Who has sued them? And why? And were their judgments issued against them? Were they satisfied or are there outstanding liens against them? Social media searches are almost always a part of this level of investigation. And in some cases, we even search the records of 911 calls to the individual's residence or restraining orders issued against them. It might even mean looking for potential conflicts of interest, the individual's other business dealings, boards they might serve on, political contributions, or even the details of their close relations, employment, or business dealings. In every circumstance, we ensure that there are no local or state laws prohibiting an employer from considering any information we include in the report. We never want to give the employer 
the rope with which to hang themselves. If you have a sensitive hire that needs a heightened level of research, please schedule a conversation with us at comparativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of a recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 107 and enter the keyword appreciation. That's A-P-P-R-E-C-I-A-T-I-O-N. And now back to my conversation with Dr. Paul White. So it's it's not all top down. We're talking about we're talking peer-to-peer too. But what what is what's the role of the organizational leadership in, in creating that environment? What are the, what are the steps in doing that? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's rare that we come into an organization and work top down. I actually did that with Pepsi, uh, Lipton global. Uh, but most organizations, it's a leader of a division or a department brings us in and says, Hey, you know, I really want to encourage my team and support them. And so we start there and actually, with Miller Coors, we started with just a team of people and then went all the way across the nation, across the organization. So part of it is sort of affirming the value that we need to create a more positive culture that's not just about results and so forth, but to um, provide the, the support and resources. You know, we have an online train-the-trainer program. It costs about 1000 bucks for a person to go through online at their own pace, and then they can run the training of teaching team members how to show appreciation uh, with multiple groups. Um, and all they need then is for the different participants to take the inventory, which is like 25 bucks a piece, which is not a lot uh, compared to a lot of assessments, and they can just roll it out. And so providing time, lots of times we start with a pilot group. Uh, I'm just, hey, is there somebody that'd be interested in doing this with your team? and get one or two people to do that and other people watch and sort of see and actually create sort of a positive peer pressure of, Hey, why do they get to do this? And, and we don't. And, and then it, it rolls out from there. So you mentioned the five, I want, I keep wanting to say the five love languages, but the five languages of appreciation, right? What are those? So they're actually the same in name as the five love languages, but they look differently in how they're applied. So words of affirmation, which are words that are affirming, that you affirm the value of uh, what a person is doing or who they are. And that can be spoken or it can be written. Uh, Secondly is quality time. And quality time, like I mentioned, is sort of uh, divided generationally that a lot of uh, people like one-on-one focused attention, but others like hanging out with their friends and, and feeling valued because they're included. Third one is acts of service. Acts of service isn't you know, rescuing a low-performing colleague. It's more about um, some small thing that you can do to help make their day or week go better. Two common contexts. One is if you're working on a time-limited project and you've just got to really bang away on it, what's something somebody can do to help out, whether that's sort of cover your calls or email for a day so you can stay focused or bring you in lunch so you keep working or maybe, you know, do some clerical work. Um, the other is when you're in a service or clinical setting where, you know, all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of customers waiting to be served. What can you do to help, you know, reduce that line and, and reduce the stress for your colleague? Fourth one is tangible gifts, which is not bonuses or raises, um, you know, not big vacations. It's more 
small things that show that you're getting to know your colleague uh, and what they like. So it could be their favorite coffee in the morning, or um, you uh, know that they're starting to coach their kids for soccer, and you find a a website that uh, has some training activities for them. So it doesn't always have to be a thing. The key thing about tangible gifts, it is this context where it is the thought that counts. Uh, You give everybody the same thing, it doesn't mean a whole lot to these people. So, uh, and it's, it's only 7% of the workforce choose tangible gifts as their primary language. And so, um, you know, corporate gifts and and that kind of thing that we've got a long ways to go. And then the last one is physical touch, which people get, you know, especially HR professionals, they go, Oh, we're going to get sued, (laughs) you know? Um, and, uh, uh, and actually it's less than 1% of, of the population, but it's, we included it because we didn't want to advocate a touchless society, even in the workplace, because appropriate physical touch within healthy relationships can be deeply meaningful, especially in traumatic times. But it's largely spontaneous celebration. You know, it's a high five when you finish a project. It's a fist bump when you solve a problem, maybe a congratulatory handshake when you uh, make a sale. So it happens and it differs, you know, regionally. I mean, I lived in Atlanta for a while and in the Southeast, you know, side hugs are pretty normal. Uh, done work in New York and New Jersey, and this is what physical touch looks like there. Hey. Yeah, and that's interesting because, <laughs> yeah. and I'll bet that's high on my index because I know, like, in my workout group, uh, you know, there's a lot of people cycle in and out depending on what class I take. But the instructor, after we finish a set, will say high five your neighbor or something, and and just some random stranger next to me just giving me a fist bump, yeah, just does something to me. Yeah. So I, 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 that's interesting. I've never I've never thought I, I thought about that. So we've got these languages, and you write you, you know your 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 tool says these are you know the ones that are the strongest you know the person strongest most strongly identifies with, and this is the one that you know is probably least effective. So in our work group, then do we just like paste that on our, uh, on the door to our office or how do we, how do we do that? Well, it, yeah, different, different organizations handle it. Actually, we have uh, what we call a cubicle poster that a, a person mm-hmm. can print for their name and their top two languages and actions. Uh, we actually have a group profile that can be used for a team. It, you know, I, I find that it's best to communicate this stuff across a team versus one-on-one. I mean, you can do both, but that way it, it sort of lessens the weirdness about, you know, how am I supposed to show appreciation to you? But it's like, okay, this, if Carol, you know, did a really good job on this, this is how we can, you know, uh, support her. Um, and then some people actually, we, we've just partnered with a, a platform uh, that uh, um, integrates our results into HR and employee engagement messages. And you can look up and see how somebody wants to be shown appreciation so uh, there's lots of different ways. Um, and, and then going through the training as a team is probably the, the most effective. Interesting. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some free uh, uh, consulting here. So we've got a system in our, in our and we're all remote. In fact, you know, we're, uh, we've got employees who uh, have only met online right. because of the distances are so great. And we've got a, program, a, a process in place where somebody just does something, you know, uh, that somebody wants to show up, we, we call them kudos, yep. but where they want to give somebody kudos, uh, every employee every month gets a bank of PTO that they can just award an hour at a time to other people 
when they do something, whether they live our value, and they, you know, we try to get them to tie it back to our values somehow, which, sure. and one of our key values is work together, work as one, uh, as a team, you know, work as one with compassion and respect. Okay. And so that's a pretty easy one to tie a lot of stuff to, but, um, and they give that, and then they can choose at the time they award it, whether their note to the person showing a thank you or appreciation goes out to the whole team right. or just to that person. Right. Um, so how would you tweak that to, uh, you know, uh, to better appreciate the different ways people like to get that? So I, I think part of it is that you want to identify sort of the universe of behaviors that are meaningful to the team members, uh, because like in our um, quality time one, uh, there's an item that says, you know, I'd like to go to lunch and talk about work, you know. The next one is I don't want to go to work work and not talk. I mean, go to lunch and not talk about work, you know, because mm-hmm. it makes a difference. Um, and same thing about private or not. And the other thing, uh, you know, there are a lot of platforms now that have sort of peer to peer recognition. And I just wrote a, a blog and a, a published an article on this that, you know, it's a nice start. But the problem with peer to peer recognition, like the kudos and all that, is one, it's it's usually pretty general. Um, and that it's like, actually, we did a poll. We got 75,000 people on our weekly newsletter. How, what don't you want to hear? You know, when you're appreciated, good job is one of the top ones that people don't want to hear. It's too vague. Sure. doesn't mean anything. Right. The second thing is peer-to-peer recognition. It's almost always words. Or, I mean, it might be an icon, but it represents words. And we know that um, less than half of all employees choose words as their primary language. So if you only use words, uh, then you're sort of by default going to miss half of the people of how they really want to be shown appreciation. And so it's good, but you, you need to sort of incorporate what's important to them and and identify that so that people can not waste time and energy. I mean, one of the biggest pushbacks we get is, hey, I'm busy. When am I going to have time to do this? I got it. I'm a psychologist. I'm supposed to figure out how to make this stuff work. And one of the things is, you know, I promise people we're not going to create another to-do list for you. You already got at least two, right? And your regular one and then projects. You don't need an appreciation one. So we help people identify what they're doing or almost doing and tweak it so that it's meaningful, but also that it's sort of like a, a, a bullet that hits the target versus a shotgun. You're not... We don't want you to write notes to everybody. We don't want you to go check in with everybody. We want you to do the action that's meaningful so that it's effective and you get the impact that uh, is worth the effort. So what are your, what are your top two uh, appreciation languages? Historically, m- mine has been words. And, uh, I, I, you know, I don't mind being praised in public, you know. And then um, depending on, on the season of life, but usually quality time right? Time with somebody that I value and enjoy. I like to laugh. I have a group of guys I've had lunch with for 20 plus years. And uh, that's just because time is, you know, one of our most precious resources. So when people share that, that's, that's valuable. So I know I've known a lot of people who are very comfortable with sharing appreciation. They can even be effusive and not in a phony way. I think of my, my friend, Bruce Waller, uh, who's got the life in the leadership lane podcast and is just one of the most genuinely honest and happy people about other people's success and, and, uh, just an amazing guy. But there are people who 
feel awkward or contrived yep. uh, when they're actively trying to give some sort of appreciation. How do you how do you teach somebody to deliver the even if they you know it's sincere appreciation they feel, but to deliver it in a way not only that uh, that they're comfortable with, but is all that's you know now we've got this whole other thing that that person's got to be able to receive it in a way that we, that, that we want them to. So yeah. how do you teach that? So you know we try to take um, into account personality differences. There, there are shy people that going up and saying something, you know, verbally to another person just feels sort of awkward or overwhelming. And so we teach me how to, how to communicate uh, words through writing, right? Whether that's a text or chat or a note, because it allows you to be in control of the timing and think through your words. One interesting thing about that, you know, for us that are older, uh, a handwritten note was sort of the highest form of, you know, a written yeah. thing. For younger workers, especially 20-something guys, a handwritten note doesn't add value squat. Um, it's, really? Yeah, it's more about the timing of it, that, you know, their culture moves pretty quickly. And so if you're going to communicate appreciation to them, you need to get back to them within 24 or 48 hours. Otherwise, you've moved into history. So it's to them, it's not sort of the method, but the timing that's important. So it's a text rather than a handwritten note or a, a voicemail because they never that generation never answers their phone either. <laughs> uh, so so I'll leave them a voicemail saying yeah. how much I appreciate them. Yeah, that's right. And and similarly, um, you know, I think we help expand people's repertoires of how to show appreciation in a way that's comfortable for them yet meaningful for the other person. And you know, most people when they hear about that it's not just in public and it's not in front of other people and it's not just words, uh, they can get comfortable with it because they can sort of identify. And, and I think a key part is, you know, for what do you value or appreciate somebody? That, that's the message. It's, it's like, you know, thanks for being dependable. Thanks for not being, you know, overly reactive or, you know, I just appreciate that you are detailed. I have a team member. She is so detail-oriented. <laughs> she always drives me crazy. But, man, I know that it's going to go out right, you know, and I don't have to worry yeah. about it. I don't have to think about it. And so I can communicate appreciation to her uh, for that. Let's say the organization's decided they want to do this. Maybe we've even had everybody take the index. And now what kind of challenges do you have in implementing this, especially when you're changing the culture to, sure. to you know, um, and especially, you know, well, you know, are there are there certain personalities that are really slow to adopt this? Oh, uh, yeah. No, everybody loves it all the time. No, uh, <laughs> no, no. The deal is there are some people that just don't get it. I mean, I, you know, and one of the things that uh, I've come to is I encourage organizations not to implement it just carte blanche top down because that um, undermines the perceived authenticity. If Well, everybody's got to do this. So, you know going to write a note. Uh, secondly, you don't want somebody out there doing it when it's clear they're not interested because they're sending a, a mixed message and it doesn't really support what you're trying to do. I just tell people that aren't interested, say, hey, just stand to the side and watch. Try not to be obstructive about it, you know, but just, you know, you know, if you're not into it, that's fine. So people that aren't interested is one, especially at a management level. And one of the nice things is we don't have to stop, start at, you know, the top. We can start at some level. And in fact, there are some teams that their manager's not or supervisor's not interested, but the team does it. And we don't have to have the supervisor 
hundred percent on board, which, which is helpful. You know, another one uh, that I mentioned is busyness, you know, and we try to help frame that and help them understand, start slow. And just with a few people, a lot of times people, have a lot of people that they supervise and we try to help teach them how to start with key people and move out from there. Uh, cross-cultural issues are a challenge sometimes if you work in, in a uh, either bilingual or multicultural setting. Uh, you know, our Latin and Hispanic friends tend to be a little bit more warm and physical uh, about things, whereas, you know, New Yorkers and New Jersey people aren't, you know, and so you have to, to, to manage that. And, and to be honest, I would say one of the things is those colleagues that are difficult to appreciate. Uh, not everybody, you know, is a sunshine boy. And uh, there's some people that either you don't know, you don't understand, you don't like them. Um, and so we say, hey, if, you, if you're struggling with that, don't try to fake it. That's not going to go well. But uh, one of the things that we found is that, um, first of all, lots of times this happens in sort of two-tier supervisor relationships that you, you're the manager of the supervisor who's uh, over this person, that lots of times you don't really understand what they do specifically and the value they bring to the team. And so be sure and learn that. But also spend some time getting to know the person just at a personal level. Find out a little bit about their background, share some about yours. Because what happens is we find that we usually find some kind of touchstone point, whether it's, hey, you know, I'm a Cowboys fan or I'm a Chiefs fan or, you know, uh, I'm a military brat, you know, and, and there's places that you get to know and know them and understand them a little better that, you know, they came from a pretty rough background and it's, yeah, there's a wall there, but there's a reason there's a wall there. They aren't just, you know, being a jerk. It's just that they, they've learned how to, they need to protect themselves. So I would say that's a common challenge uh, that can be easily overcome, but it, it takes some proactive effort. Well, and that gives you something to appreciate in that person too, right? They came from this background. They've overcome it. They're they're succeeding in their life yep. beyond whatever they came through. And, and, and maybe they're a little crusty because of it, but look what they've done, you know? And so that's a way to maybe, you know, gently show that appreciation there too. Absolutely. Well, if somebody wanted to to take uh, the uh, uh, the assessment, where would they go to do that? Yeah, so our sort of mothership website is appreciationatwork.com, and it's the word at, so appreciationatwork.com. Um, and we have information there about uh, our books, about the assessment. Um, and I should mention that we have different versions for different industries. I mean, for schools, mm. medical settings, for general business for remote workers, for the military, for veterinarians, dentists, because the actions look different, right? I mean, an act of service is going to look different in those different settings, oh, even okay. in trades, you know, carpenters and plumbers and electricians. So uh, the appreciation at work.com. And I tell you what, uh, Mike, you know, I'd be glad if the people want to email me just at yes, Dr. Paul, yes, drpaul at gmail.com. I'd be glad to send them a, a sample report of the inventory so they could see that um, and just, you know, put in the subject line your name uh, um, so that I know because uh, I do a number of podcasts and, and can get that to them. But I'm glad to do that. Oh, great. Well, and we will include all of that in the show notes as well. I really want to show appreciation for you. Thank you for joining. You uh, this was this was a great conversation. And uh, I, I thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed it. And thank you for listening. 
You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. As always, I want to share my appreciation for Rob Upchurch, our podcast producer. He is awesome and he makes this so easy for me. And you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And I'm also grateful for all the fine work done by Marianne Hernandez, Imperative's marketing coordinator. She flawlessly executes on all my visionary stuff. And if I had to execute, nothing would ever get done. And so thank you, Marianne, for making this podcast a real thing. And I'm Mike Coffee. Our listenership grows with each episode, and I'm grateful to each of you for taking uh, the time, investing the time uh, to listen and engage with the Good Morning HR community. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.